Good morning, church. Good morning. You're very, very welcome to our service here at Living Hope Belfast this morning. Church, if you'd like to stand to your feet, we're going to sing and praise the Lord together. What gifts of grace is Jesus my Strange and deep. 
wretches of kindness. What wretches of kindness he lavished on His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the dead, we could Yeah. 
Let's sing it one more time before the table. With a thousand hallelujahs. You may take your seats as we come before the Lord's table this morning. Good morning. A thousand hallelujahs. I'm told there's 10 minutes. I don't know how long it would take to raise a thousand hallelujahs. But someday, the power of the Holy Spirit will break through and your time and my time won't matter. And we'll just sit under his anointing and he will take over. And then we'll raise a thousand hallelujahs and give our Lord and our Savior the glory and the honor that he deserves. I thought I heard an amen. I did. The kids did better the other Sunday night. Amen, Lord. Praise your name. God is good. God is wonderful. Oh, My prayer this morning is that the Lord will give me what I'm supposed to give from him and the thoughts that I have, they'll be lost in what I have to say. It's amazing how God's been working. He, he, he put one word on my, on my heart a couple of weeks ago, one word, and we'll, we'll read it um, when we break bread. And it was the word remembrance. And I began to think about remembrance and what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? And remembrance, that word always reminds me of Remembrance Sunday, when we remember those who have given their lives for service of country. And, and to remember an anniversary is like a birthday or a wedding anniversary or some event in your life. But when we come to the table, it's not just about a thought in our head or a memory in our head. It's about coming before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We've just sang, He alone deserves the glory, the adoration and the praise. And that's what remembrance, when we remember the Lord's Supper, should mean. As a young boy, I was brought up in a wee church two brick walls, two wooden walls. But every time you went into the church, blazoned across the front was worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. And my thinking of, of, of remembering the Christ who sacrificed for me and for you led me to thinking about worship. And it took me to a portion of scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, where you read those words. I don't know how much I can leave out of this, cha this chapter or the portion, but I've, I've tried to reduce it down to just three verses. And it's First Chronicle, First Chronicle 16, 26, 28 to 30, and it says, Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. 
Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. The word also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. The background of Paul writing that song, which they tell me is now split across potentially three psalms. The background is the Ark of the Covenant that meant so much to the children of Israel. It contained the Ten Commandments. It was made of acacia wood. It was covered in gold. The top of it contained the mercy seat. And it meant to the children of Israel the presence of God. And the Ark had been taken away by the Philistines. And God promised the children of Israel that he would bless them if they obeyed his word. And so David in his heart, David in his heart decided that he had to get the ark back. And he brought the ark back to the royal city, the city of David. And then he writes this song. Worship, containing the words, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And as you sit here this morning, In the Old Testament, the ark was held within the Holy of Holies. Once a year, only once a year, was the high priest allowed to go in and make a sacrifice for his sins and a sacrifice for the sins of all the people. David thought so much of the ark that he wanted to bring it back to the royal city. As we sit here this morning, as we stand here this morning, one greater, one higher, one mightier, one more holy than any other person mentioned in Scripture, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, once died on the cross of Calvary. And hence we come this morning and we want to pour out our thanks. We were covered with sin, but he paid the penalty once and for all. The Apostle Paul, who was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he claimed, knew the Old Testament incident out, wrote this, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation means a covering. Propitiation means an appeasement, we are cleansed. The mercy seat in the Hebrew means exactly the same. What a prophetic forecast of the coming Christ. And now we, unlike all those children of Israel, like unlike all those Jews who still keep the Old Testament law, we have the facility of coming in to God's house on a Sunday morning and giving our thanks to God. Paul further writes in Hebrews, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks in his name. As you sit this morning, you will find oops, a little cup. I don't know whether you want to, like David when they brought the ark back, he danced, he wrote a song, he gave gifts to the people. I don't know what you want to do this morning. But in your innermost being, 
give thanks to God. If you want to stand and pray, if you want to say a few words, feel free. But you give your thanks for what God has done in your own life. Not for the person beside you. We're thankful that God covers us all, but you give thanks for what he has done for you. That he, as we've been singing, may receive all the glory, all the honor, a thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. Let's, let's read. In 1 Corinthians, we read these words. Sorry, I'm going to read. We read in verse 23 of chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. But the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you want to peel back the top there, and if you know the Lord, you be free in it. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you're in the right place this morning. Because you can meet with our Savior. You can meet with the one who died for you and have your sins forgiven. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all your blessings. We thank you for everything you do for us every day of our lives. But Father, we come at this time and silently we wait before you and we offer you up the thanksgiving of our hearts. We offer you up the thanksgiving for your death for your crucifixion, for your burial and your resurrection at the cross of Calvary. Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you that it was nailed to the cross, but you had the power, you said, to raise it up again on the third day. And so we come as individuals covered by your blood, covered with the sacrifice of your, your son. Lord, we come and we give you thanks for all your goodness. Amen. verse 25 and 26 in the same manner also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes Father, again, we just come before you and we thank you for the blood that was shed. Lord, we, we thank you that it wasn't spilt, that it didn't drip, but it was shed for us. Father, we thank you for the new covenant. We thank you that you looked after your people in the Old Testament and you provided the entrance into the Holy of Holies and the mercy seat. But we thank you, Father, that you sent your Son. We thank you that he willingly came that he willingly died on the cross for our sins. Father, we thank you 
that he shed his blood, that his body was more, marred more than any man's. Father, we give you all the honor and all the glory. Accept of our thanks this morning. Search us, O Lord. Enable us to give you the thanks that you're worthy of. Enable us to raise those hallelujahs. Lord, despite the circumstances, despite what we're going through, Lord, help us to remember what you've done for us at Calvary and that you are the overcomer, that you are the provider and that you will look after us until eternity and through eternity and enable us to come and give you the praise, the adoration, the worship, the glory and the hallelujahs, Lord. In your name, amen. Praise Father, thank you for allowing us into your presence. And we thank you for your presence with us in this house this morning and every day. Father, we just can't take it in what you mean to us, what you've done for us and who you are. But help us in our simple form to come before you to leave lives that are glorifying unto your name. Lord, again, we thank you for the worship. And as we come, we pray that you will indeed you are pastor with our power from an eye that he will feed us that we will be refreshed in your word and we will go out of this place different than where we came in help us each day of our lives Lord to give you the honor and give you the glory Amen Church let's stand and sing together There is strength within sorrow
church, you may take your seats. when I sing the words of that song it always reminds me that simply God is in control whatever it is that you are facing today whatever challenges whatever valleys you are in God is in control he says you you might sense that he is silent towards you you may feel he is absent towards you but he's not he says he is in control and everything that happens in our life he uses for our good and for his glory and sometimes it doesn't always look like that because we're we're grieving we're struggling we're sorrowful we're heavy hearts we're we're broken hearts and even in the midst of all those things God is still working he's still working he's still doing what God does he said we cannot limit God just to working in our good times and the things when things are going well in all circumstances and in all situations God is good working for our good but for his glory let's take a moment to pray father we thank you father we thank you we've been reminded both by the worship and at the table this morning father we thank you that you are good you don't just do good you are good and Father, when we struggle to look for answers or reasons, explanations, when we, we can't always see the road in front of us, Father, when all we can do is trust and pray, Father. Father, you never ever give up on us. You never fail us, you never let us down. And Father, for that, we thank you for that this morning. We do not go by what we feel today, Lord. We go by what we know. And Lord, we know that you are always working in our lives. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of announcements before we get into the word. The first one, a wonderful special announcement. Scott Weir. Where is he? Where's Scott? Uh, Hello, Scott. All right. Scott Weir is engaged. We give warmest congratulations. to Scott and his fiancée Esther so everybody knows that so you'll get plenty of advice from the men okay okay Just, yeah, no, no don't say don't right <laughs> tonight is a very special night it is the toddler prize giving uh, so we are looking forward to that please don't see this as a night off Uh, The toddler team work all year round to get the toddlers in and their parents in and they're looking forward. It will be noisy tonight, but it will be good. It will be a great evening this evening as we do the toddler prize giving. Come along, there is a supper afterwards, so we start at half past six. uh, So come along to the toddler prize giving uh, this evening. This Tuesday night is the prayer meeting, but the following Tuesday night... Uh, is the is the man up? So Jim Weir is going to come up and just share uh, a couple of things about that. I get your mic. Doing the morning spot? Is that what you want? There you go, mate. There you go. Don't sink. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Slobber. <laughs> 
church, listen, just, just to encourage, not just the men, but the women also. So, Mana was really, really well attended pre-COVID. We had our first one a couple of months ago, and again, just a, a great night of men getting out and just hearing what the Lord has to say. This is strange, because I've never spoken at Mana, even though I've been involved with it for a few years. This time, I, I'm going to speak. Um, and if it was just to come to listen to me, then I would say, don't bother. But I believe God has given a voice and something about the experience of Everest. So come along, see that, um, hear about that journey. You know, Christ in John uh, 15 says, I have spoken these things to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And it's for us as Christians, we, we journey with grief, we journey with loss, we journey with all of that. But God has something to say about it. And for those that, that we know who could, could really benefit from coming along, particularly people who don't know the Lord, encourage them. I said it was a reach out to the girls too, because guys are great. You know, they definitely attend stuff, but what they tend to do is to show up on the night, they rack up and they get their three quid out and they go, here, here I am. And that's brilliant. The only problem is we don't want many burgers to buy. <laughs> so you may end up with maybe, you know, one hot dog short in, in your burger box, something like that. So get the tickets now. Um, for any women who want to encourage guys that you think could really benefit from coming along, just having the fellowship and having the opportunity to be able to, to listen to who God is and who you could be in their lives, then buy a ticket for them, encourage them, get them out. Okay, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. And, and we'll trust the Lord and pray for it as a church as well. Okay, guys, thank you. Uh, Jim's going to be at the door, the welcome desk afterwards with uh, Glenn. And they're going to be selling the tickets, so you'll know you'll be able to buy them. We, we take cash, we take credit card, we've got uh, <laughs> any way you want to buy your tickets for that. Then they'll be at the door afterwards for the meeting on Tuesday night. I know the ladies had a great meeting on Tuesday night at their uh, Platinum Jubilee tea. Uh, and it's so true, he says, the women have here organised. Because we know who's coming, with the men we don't know who's coming. So we need you to buy your tickets. And so we know how many to burgers to buy and stuff. So if you do that, so Jim will be at the door uh, with Glenn selling the tickets at the end. We're continuing on with our, our What Are You Wearing series. Uh, and today we're looking at the verse in Colossians. It says, uh, clothe yourself. Uh, it says, and the theme of this passage that we're looking at is simply those uh, who wear the, the uniform of a heavenly citizen. I thought about this in 1988. I left school at 16 and got a job in McDonald's. It was a perfect job for me at 16 because you could eat McDonald's every day. But one of the things you got was you got a uniform and you had to wear the uniform so people knew that you worked there in McDonald's. Um, after I finished working at McDonald's, I ended up going to work for, for Asda uh, as a trainee baker. All my jobs were with food, but it was brilliant. <laughs> And I was a baker, and one of the first things I was given was a uniform. Uh, and it was like an all-white outfit as a baker, and we had a white hat to wear and stuff. And once again, you could eat everything you wanted. These jobs were amazing and stuff. And what I realized was there were so many jobs uh, that people do that, that they have to wear a uniform because it associates them with who they are uh, and what they do. He says, in 2001, when um, I started working for the church full-time, I remember Pastor Roy Lee saying to me, if, you, if you've gone to preach, because this was what it was like back then, he said, you had to go and you had to wear a suit. 
because the anointing was in the shirt and tie. So he didn't say that, I just believed that. Uh, so he had to wear a shirt and tie. So when he came to preach, so I remember one of the first things I did was to go down uh, to, uh, I think, is Top Man still there? No? No, that shows my age, doesn't it? Like Top Man sold suits, and I remember getting a nice black uh, stripy suit. And I thought to myself, this sort of covered weddings and funerals. I thought black with stripes on, rather than buying one suit for one event and one for another. But it was a type of a uniform. And I'm sure there are many of you uh, that have jobs or that you are required to wear a uniform. Um, I, I once had a nice shirt. Unfortunately, it looked like uh, one of the Tesco employee shirts. Uh, that I, well, I don't wear it anymore because people keep reminding me of it. And on two occasions I was in Tesco's, somebody asked me to get something down off the shelf for them and stuff because they thought I weren't there by what I wore. By what I wore. And the similar thing is the same for us as believers. Uh, Simply a uniform is dress of a distinctive design or fashion worn by members of a particular group and serving as a means of identification. Somebody who is consistent in their conduct and opinion. And the passage we read tonight, we're given a uniform to wear as believers. Because we have to ask this question at this point in this series, is how do people know we're Christians? Do they just know it because we, we say it, or by the things we do say, or the things that we, we don't say? Or do they know it by the way that we act? Do they know it by the way that we live? Uh, is there a uniform that we wear as, as believers and, and this bit is true before we get into verse that the heart of our faith is what we believe changes the way we behave what we believe uh, is not the way in a sense it's an avenue it's the way to get us to change the way that we behave what we, what we put in here uh, transforms in here he says that that is true i've said it many times here that our, our christian faith has to do with what we believe it has to do with what we be how we behave but also where we belong as well and it says all of those things come together and so today today we're looking at this theme of what are we wearing what do we clothe ourselves with and paul writes to the church in colossians uh, and he gives them a challenge because he's telling them uh, in the chapter 3 that there were things that they must put to death there were things they must rid themselves of but there were things that they must clothe themselves with as well and we're going to be taking a look at those uh, today because the challenge for us in what we are wearing is we want people to recognize that we are believers by our uniform and we are given a uniform of the way we are to behave not just with each other but also with the world out there so people know hey these people belong to something they identify with somebody by what they wear and so Colossians 3 beginning here at verse 5 says put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality impurity lust evil desires and greed which is idolatry because of these the wrath of God is coming you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, 
barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And of all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This taking off of the old and putting on the new, that Paul describes in the essence of following Jesus. Simply there were things that we must renounce, we must take off, we must rid ourselves of, and there was a clothing that we put on. In week number one, I shared this with you, and, and this is really the truth of what it means to be a Christian. And we must not teach another message than this. Uh, being clothed with Christ is not behavior modification, but life transformation. That when Christ Jesus comes into our life, he, he changes us from the inside out. The change is so great that change actually is an uh, as powerful word as transformation, which means we are totally changed. It's not just behavior modification where we just stop doing certain things which aren't particularly good for us and try to do the other things which we think are good for us. Paul, in the heart of his writing, is challenging the readers with this. Hey, it's not behavior modification. It's not stopping to do some of the things that you know you shouldn't do, but actually life transformation. We turn away from that life and towards the new life. Often people will say to you, oh, I'd love to be like the New Testament church. I would love to be like the, the, the churches that Paul writes to. You know, most of the letters that Paul writes to in the New Testament are letters of challenge, are letters like this, which is telling the church, stop doing some of the stuff that you're doing. Be changed by Christ. And the challenge that comes through this here, in this passage here, as Paul arrives at this, he simply brings the church together. And he says, listen, there are just some things here that you need to get rid of. Before you clothe yourself with the stuff that Christ wants you to wear, you've got to get rid of some stuff. You've got to put to death some stuff. And in verse 5, we are told of five things that we are put to death. We see, uh, it tells us sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed. These things have just got to go. They've just got to go. In what we are wearing and what we need to put on, they do not compete with, with everything. Remember, maybe when you were younger and it was cold outside, and if you had one of those, you know, one of those overprotective mums, you know the way some of you are. You know that you send a child out and it was. You look outside and it looks cold. So what you did, you made sure they had a vest on, then had a t-shirt on, then they had a shirt on, then they had a jumper on, then they had a scarf on, then they had a jacket on, and it was July. You know, you, because you don't want them to catch a cold and stuff. He said, that, yeah, and they're, they're bound up with all of this, you see. And what happens is he's been bound up with all of that. We try and add other stuff on without removing the stuff that needs to be removed already. Uh, and this is what Paul is saying to the church. He says, you can't clothe yourself with what Christ is asking you to wear if you don't put to death and get rid of some of this stuff that's already there. So you've got to take some of this stuff off. But actually, he goes even stronger here. He says, actually, the, the essence, the heart of being a Christian is putting to death some of this stuff. Actually killing it in your life. Not, not being tempted or moved by it, but being put to death put to death this stuff that's here in your life, get rid of it altogether. But he moves on in verse 8 and he says, 
there is then some stuff that we must rid ourselves of and this is the sort of thing that maybe sometimes people struggle with you know throughout their walk with God that the the anger the rage the malice the slander the filthy language he said those things are sort of you know they're they're there and sometimes the opportunity is is presented to 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 feel that way angry about something or or to hate somebody because what's happened or maybe just a, something to come out of your mouth that shouldn't come out of your mouth and Paul is saying you need to get rid of this stuff as well you've got the put to death stuff this is the stuff that is non-compromisable you can't compromise this he says, but then this stuff here is the stuff like, well, you want people to recognize that you're a believer by what you wear. Well, are they going to recognize that by the things that you say, but by the way that, 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 that you behave towards each other, or maybe the, the hatred that you have towards somebody or the malice that you have? So he says, you've got to get rid of these things because he's moving on to verse 12 when he turns around and he simply says, these are the things that we are to clothe ourselves with. They're actually to put on the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the gentleness and patience. But we've got to get rid of the other stuff. That's always hard. That's always a challenge. That's almost what we were talking about last week when the spirit comes and he changes us from the inside out. That actually not just behavior modification or well, just try and stop doing this. If I can get the discipline together to stop doing that. It's a work of the spirit that transforms us from the inside out. And he says, these are the five things to clothe yourself with. This is the uniform that a Christian should wear. It's not about having ripped jeans and tattoos and slick back hair as some people might think. That would reach the world. I tell you what would reach the world. When we're compassionate, when we're kind, when we're humble, when we're patient, when we're gentle. That's the uniform that we wear as believers. And do you know why that's a hard uniform to wear? Because it's a challenge to be all of those things to be compassionate, to show your compassion to someone, to be humble, to be patient, to be gentle, to be kind. But Paul gives the foundation for this because he tells the church then, he says, we're being clothed with this. He says, we're actually given three titles. He encourages the church when he says to them, he says, this is what you should clothe yourself with, but this is the reason why. He says the first thing, and, and this is first, he says, we are chosen. There is a belonging that we have. That actually, in our believing and our behaving, it forces us to have this belonging. And this, this morning, as we gather in churches, is our belonging. You know, you, you might be sitting next to somebody that you would never relate to if you weren't in church. You might be sitting next to somebody you might not even like. Now, if you sit next to your husband or wife, look straight ahead. <laughs> this, this is the belonging. This is how God worked out. How do I get my people all to be together? Tell you what, we'll have this thing called church. And let's just put everybody together. And the only connecting thing they have is their faith in Jesus Christ. That they all come from a different place. Some of them are blow-ins. Some, they're all from a different background. They're all different experiences. Uh, some of them are incredibly brainy, intelligent people. Got to be careful where we look here. Some of the people are very intelligent. 
some of them aren't, so be careful while looking. <laughs> and they bring all these people together and say, this is church, this is belonging. It says, but what, what, would we ever relate to each other in, in, in that way? And, and it says, that's what it means to be chosen. This church all comes together because the church in Colossae, much like the church in Corinth, and much like the church in Ephesus, it was made up of the same people. It was these rich people and these poor people. Uh, and in Corinth, there were, some, there were some bad ladies, you know what I mean, that had lived a different life before they came to church, and, but they were in church. And, and there were some bad men that lived a different life before they'd come to church and they were in church and it's why we say come and take a seat with the rest of us because church is a place that God has created where we have a sense of belonging even if we don't have any out there with anybody else in here everybody should feel like they belong they should have a sense of belonging that actually nobody can say you're not part of this there's no place for you here uh, nobody ever has the right to say that because church is about us being chosen and being chosen is having that place of belonging where we are valued because it's part of what we are clothed with and these are so essential here that, that we're part of this family but the second thing he says he says we are holy and we're set apart the one thing that we have connecting is this is that to be holy we're set apart but we're set apart by the work that God has done in mine and your life nobody is more holy than anybody else you may have read your bible for 35 minutes this morning before you came to church and prayed for another 40 that does not make you more holy than the person who read it for 20 and only prayed for 10 but it's a way we judge holiness holiness is we're set apart each of us has a place that God has given us filled in a chair this morning that we are wholly set apart because of what Christ has done and then the third one is this we are dearly loved love this thought that's your meaning of it is dearly loved is someone close to the heart uh, and that's how God sees us we're close to the heart in the New Testament the word uh, beloved implies more than human affection it, it suggests this esteem this value that is placed on somebody and not enough almost just to say that, that God loves us. That actually it's deeper than that. We are his beloved. We are dearly loved by him. Actually when he thinks of us, we are, we are close to his heart. We are the one that is special and valuable to him. And we recognize that worth as children of God. It's more than friends, more than brothers and sisters. Uh, therefore it's somebody who is highly valued. You see, this is what the problem and the issue is sometimes. Your identity in Christ is important. Not so much for you to discover who you are, but whose you are. Because the world has it the wrong way around. Because the world will tell you, you need to discover who you are. You need to discover uh, what you like. You need to discover almost everything about you. You know, your gender, your identity, your role, your assignment. And, and the world has got it the wrong way around because they've turned around and said, actually, discover who you are first. Make it about who you are, where Christ Jesus wants us to know whose we are before we discover who we are. Because the value and the foundation of our life and everything about us is tied up from whose we are that we belong to Christ as Paul writes this to the church here in Colossae and says you're chosen you're holy and you're dearly loved he's telling us those are the important things 
It's not about us. We live in a world of confusion where we've got young people growing up and the problem is they just simply don't know who they are. And the danger of that is that we're not teaching them that this first, that it's whose you are that matters. And I think having a conversation sometimes with them and allowing God to move and just for them to understand God has made you. You are special and you are valuable. It says you are chosen, holy and dearly loved by him. And when they get hold of that, they understand whose they are because that's more important than anything, especially who you are because that changes all of the time. See, each of the qualities that are mentioned here they talk about relationship because so much of our Christian life is about in a sense how we treat people and our relationship with them see danger sometimes is this and we lose sight of this it says God expects us to treat others the way he has treated us he has been compassionate to us he has been kind to us gentle and patient towards us we come to the table every Sunday because at the forefront of the, the primary thought at the table is we have not received what we deserved because of what Christ Jesus has done. And we remember that. Uh, and actually, when it comes to the challenge of this verse here, it breaks down the barriers that separate people. You see, among new creation people, Paul just simply says, because it, it mattered to them, their, their identity was tied up in, in, in who they were. But almost like there was says there was no Greek or Jew. But that mattered to them when they were given that, you know, well, who am I? Well, am I a Greek? Am I a Jew? And Paul says, well, no Greek, no Jew, no circumcised, uncircumcised, no Scythian, no slave, free man. He just simply says, all these barriers are broken down in Christ. All these barriers are broken. And he adds the barbarian and the Scythian in there as the extreme example because these people were the worst of the worst. We know what the word barbaric means. And so these are the worst of the worst. These were people who lived the worst way. But Paul is almost saying the gospel, what Jesus has done, is open for everybody. It's all people. But we can't limit it because as we looked at, when we looked at Timothy, some of the Jews were saying this is just for us. Some other people were saying, well, no, it's just for us as well, you know, and, and we're limiting it. Paul says there's none. All the barriers come down. Who's it for? Well, it's for everybody always. That's what it's for. It's, it's for anybody to walk in off the street. So a homeless man who's sleeping in Belfast City Centre last night, walk up to our church on a Sunday morning. He has as much entitlement to sit in this church as anybody else. He says, why? Because it breaks down barriers. But his barriers are often we've put up. And you see, when it comes to the working out of relationship with each other, you know, there becomes a difficult verse that we've just read. Because Paul writes, he says, forgive. And it would be okay if he just left it at that. But he doesn't. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oof. Is there anybody in this church this morning who's not been forgiven? Is there anybody who has committed a sin that God can't forgive? There's none of us. So Paul throws this in there as the standard barrier for breaking the barrier down as the clothing we must wear. There's simply this. You have to forgive because God has forgiven you. Oh, that's hard and forgiveness is hard. 
But that's a foundation of forgiving one another. So we can never say, I don't forgive you. I don't forgive, I can't forgive you. Because the Paul, God, sorry, would look upon it and say, but I've forgiven you. Oh, that's a hard verse to work out, pastor. You don't know what's happened to me in my life. But God does. And God puts out verse in there because it covers the breaking down of the barrier because otherwise Christ Jesus came for some things to be forgiven and not all things to be forgiven. And we have got to operate in the realm of all things can be forgiven because we are forgiven ourselves by God. We, the forgiveness we ourselves we have received is the foundation. See, forgiveness is a release. It releases us from the offence. It releases us from the guilt. And it releases us from the repayment. But listen, you must understand this. It never condones the offence that's been made against you. I'm not saying to you you should forget the hurt or the offence. I'm not saying that in any way, shape or form. You have to forgive sometimes, even without people apologising. Even without people coming and saying, I'm sorry for what I've done. You still have to forgive. Why? Because it's an inner attitude. It's something that works on us inside. And the foundation of it, God says, is because I have forgiven you, you have to forgive others. Now, it doesn't make it easy. It doesn't, because this stuff is never easy. But it's part of the clothing that we wear. It's part of the thing that we have to put on in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, somebody said this, I think it was Lewis Mead said this. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. I think God knew that when it was written there. He knew that when it was written there, the forgiveness, the forgiveness that we would have will actually release us, not necessarily the one who's caused us offence. It says something within God's wisdom that is far greater than ours knew when that was written that actually would set the prisoner free of the person who had to do the forgiving. Whether there was an apology coming, whether there was any repentance there from the person who hurt us, we have to forgive because it releases and sets the prisoner free and we discover we were the prisoner. We were the one that was held captive by it. That's why we forgive as the Lord forgave us. Because we are different. Those who accept Christ for salvation have been forgiven of their sins. As, as a result, we ought to be inclined to forgive other people. How did God forgive us? Well, he did forgive us of our sins. But he says, there's no room for wrath or vengeance. This is a famous quote that people say. I can forgive them, but I don't forget. Or my most famous one that I've heard. I love them, but I don't like them. But just check where that is in the Bible. And you see, we're conformed, we're challenged to do this stuff. Because the other stuff that we come to wear, it brings us to this point where actually these are the things that we put on. You see, here, Paul's perspective, you know, he simply covers it all. And, and he says, he says, clothe yourself upon compassion and upon kindness and, and upon humility and upon gentleness and then, and then upon patience, trousers of patience. There you go. But then he says this, 
He says, over all these things, put on love. Well, what do you mean? He says, put on love. The idea was this. A little bit like a shawl. You know what a shawl is, don't you? Yeah, no, okay then. A bit like a blanket. There we go. <laughs> Shawls for posh people, blankets for you lot, all right? <laughs> put on a blanket, and, and the shawl comes on, and it just covers the person. And that's what they would have worn on a cold night. A type of shawl, they would have worn this as they put it over their head, and it would cover everything else they were wearing. And Paul uses this as the illustration. He says, you know, he says, put on love. And he's saying this because you can't be compassionate without loving. You can't be kind without loving. You can't be humble without loving. You can't be patient without loving. You can't be any of these things unless you've got love. And, and he says, actually, even though these things are separate, when you put on love, it sort of binds them all together to show the uniform of a believer. That actually people recognize us by what we wear because the primary outfit is love. And the love is displayed in the wearing of compassion and the wearing of kindness and the wearing of gentleness and the wearing of patience. And, and it all comes together, flows out. So how do people recognize we are believers? Well, we've said there, this is the heavenly outfit, the citizen, sorry, the outfit of a heavenly citizen. What we wear as believers because it's not enough just to show we're believers by what we say. It's not almost enough to say we're believers by what we believe. At the crunch of it, the heart of it, is simply we show people uh, our faith by what we wear. And this is what we wear. This clothing of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. You see, we're given many spiritual gifts when we accept Christ as our saviour. But the truth of it is that Paul writes, he says, the greatest of these is love. He says, we seek everything else sometimes, but Paul writes in to the Corinthians, says, the greatest of these is love. 1 Peter 4, 8 adds, he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter understood this in the realm of church where we all belong together. There will be times when we get on each other's nerves and there will be people that will do your head in. And there will be people that frustrate you and there will be people like, oh, I, I don't know how, but listen, you're together. And the love binds us together in the same belonging, in the same church. When people say, I'm going to another church because I don't like the people in this church. Listen, there'll be people in that church that you don't like there. And says, and there'll be people in the next church you move on to. He says, you know, when we get to heaven, we're all going to be there for eternity. So someone might do your wedding now for five minutes, but listen, there's a whole lot of eternity to live out. <laughs> so we're in practice mode here. But he gives us this, and Bob Goff, one of my favourite authors, he he wrote this, and I thought it was a great quote to finish with. Every time I wonder who I should love. And for how long I should love them, God continued to whisper to me, everybody always. I thought, what a great thought that is there. That actually by what we wear, by being compassionate and forgiving, this is the uniform of a Christian, what we are to be clothed with. This is a message, a challenge. It's not an easy message. Because immediately you're thinking of a situation or circumstance in your life that you're like, I don't know how I could possibly forgive 
that person. Hey, listen, with God's grace and God's help and the foundation being that he has forgiven us, we can do it. And we work all this stuff out together on the journey that we are on. And whether we have to start with a clean slate today, maybe we have to go and have a conversation with somebody today, maybe something's happened that we've been offended by and we need to go and say to them, I'm sorry for something that's happened or something that I've said, don't queue up at the door because I'm the one at fault, right? But maybe it's somebody you just need to go and see and say, I belong here, you belong here. We have our differences, but we've got to love each other. We're part of the same place, we're part of the same church, but more importantly, we're part of the same family. And that's what we do, that's what we wear today. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you today. Father, we know when we read your word, it's a message of challenge at times. For Father, it is not easy for us to be forgiving. It's not natural for us to be forgiving. It is a spiritual attitude, Father, that you have given us because you sent your son to die on the cross. So the foundation of our forgiving would be your forgiveness towards us. And we thank you for that today. But Father, we know, Father, as we walk this journey of life in our belonging, in our forgiving, in our behaving, but Father, we need your help every step of the way. Father, we pray for those with challenging circumstances at the moment. Your spirit would move, Father God. You would give them the strength, Father God, the wisdom and the courage. Father, you would help us as a church to understand that we are set apart by the clothing that we wear that identifies us as belonging to you. And Father, help us to fulfill that role, that challenge today. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's start and worship together.
God, we thank you for this time spent in your presence this morning. Father God, as we part and go our separate ways, would you help us to be clothed with the things of you, to get rid of the old things, to get rid of the things that you have spoken in your word and to take up kindness and gentleness and humility and compassion for each another and to show love to one another even when it's difficult, even when it hurts, that we would lead by your example. We would lead by the example that you sent to earth for us in your son, Jesus who loved all, showed compassion to all, showed kindness to all. We ask all these things in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen.